the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol being a nationally recognized gerontologist, I'm going to tell you about a national recognition she just earned. She also is executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and we're delighted to come to you every week on 930 AM The Answer, talking about issues involving caregivers and their care recipients. And speaking of national recognition, congratulations. Next Avenue uh, named you one of the top 50 influencers on aging in the nation. Well, That's pretty cool. Well, it, it was cool. And um, if you're interested, check out nextavenue.org. Not for me, but for all the wonderful content on aging and caregiving. Uh, really well done. The, the website started, uh, and within a year, they became my favorite website. We get a lot of topics for the show from that website. We do. We actually do. I think um, their, their information, uh, because they are public broadcasting system, uh, un, what is it, fair and balanced, unbiased? I don't know what the word is. It's very good information. And it is available at no cost. You don't, there's no pay to play. No, that's right. Just any any old smart device, you can check out nextavenue.org. Now, one of the things you have checked out as you walked into the offices earlier today, you were sniffing, trying to sniff I'm stuff. sniffing all the time. And, and I guess it relates to two new signs you may be at risk for dementia. I don't know that I want to know this. Well, you know, in the past, you have heard me talk about the peanut butter test, um, which, you know, even here locally at UT Health, uh, they've talked about pe- being, able, being able to smell peanut butter at an X distance from your nose is a test for dementia. Well, apparently there's some other researchers out there collecting other things to sniff. They did a study of almost 3,000 men and women from age 57 to age 85, um, and they tested five odors. So if, I, if you closed your eyes and I ran orange, an orange smell. I can smell it now. A new leather smell. Yes. Um, peppermint. Yes. Rose. Yes. Or fish. Do you think you could identify them with your eyes closed just smelling the smell? Guaranteed. See, I think I could, too. In fact, I have some new new rose soap, which I'm happy to say I can smell. Um, and you test so, yourself every morning. <laughs> I do it every morning. <laughs> so they're showing our um, that if you hold everything, you know, after five years of, of, of this, they tested people for dementia and the only, cogn- and only cognitive ability at the start of the study, so your cognitive ability when the study started five years ago, and poor performance on the smell test were associated with increased risk for dementia. Wow. And so this idea of olfactory impairment, those with difficulties with smelling, um, they had twice the likelihood of developing dementia of people who couldn't. And, you know, for those of us with allergies who are always stuffed up, this is not good news. Twice the uh, yeah twice number. wow yeah and one of the nurses from UT Health was saying that um, people with some behavioral health issues I think she said schizophrenia also have deficiencies in the uh, brain function huh. so this is brain function this is your brain not being able to distinguish a smell that normally you would know and so that might be um, a, a precursor so when sensory function declines you know it could be a signal that something else is going on with your brain to show you how subjective these can be and how it can influence you when you mention leather i'm smelling leather that's right i know what that smells like exactly I every single one of those i can remember when we pledged our sorority i don't know if this is hazing or not but they did tie a piece of fish around our necks i can still when i when i read that i'm smelling the piece of fish yes. that was tied around our neck to wear all morning wow. which was great fun it's so my grandma Tamarkins of the holidays when she made gefilte fish from gefilte scratch. Fish. Yeah. From scratch. From scr- gefilte I mean, fish from chopped scratch. up the carp. 
Oh, okay. I was what like, a, how did she make smell. it? How did she make a fish from yeah, scratch? Well, she made, she fish, yeah. <laughs> that which is a way to prepare yeah. them. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, fish that was balls. one. That was one. So here's the other bad news in dementia: <laughs> um, high blood pressure in midlife. If you're a woman, may also be tied to dementia later in life. Um, so this was a study of women in their 40s um, who, they, again, 5,000 people, they, they got them wow. into the study when they were 30 to 35, and then 10 years later it brought them back in. And for the women, if they had high blood pressure it, in their 40s, you know, in their 30, if, if it was 40s and earlier, if they were, if they didn't, I'm sorry, let me start again. Take two. <laughs> Take two. Uh, high blood pressure in their 40s was, was a 68% higher risk for dementia. Wow. 68%, that's worse than the smell test. Um, but for men, it didn't matter high blood pressure in their 40s. It was high blood pressure in their 50s. And what they did say is men have more high blood pressure, and they tend to die younger because of it. You know, this is the heart attack thing, yes. the silent killer. Um, and so they may not live long enough to get Alzheimer's is the bottom line. Um, but news. hypertension has, is one of those um, factors that when I talked about the – I recently went to the Dementia Research Summit, mm-hmm. and they're trying to break dementia down into what are these risk Chunks. factors. So, you know, inflammation is a risk factor. Um, high blood pressure, hypertension is a risk factor. And obviously if it starts in your 40s and you're a woman, it's not good news. We've got Kathy Maston joining us in just a little while talking about home health care. And uh, as part of their home health care, I'm sure they take people's blood pressure. be interesting. As we talk about that, it now. will be interesting. <laughs> Carol, <laughs> I'm the only person in the world who's happy about this next article. Yeah, she is holding up a headline for me to see. It's why <laughs> I love you because you have such a sick sense of humor. It says, "Hold it up again." It says, "Get your- ready for pea milk." P-E-A, like little green peas. Doesn't taste like peas, and it's not even green. That's right. Now, you come out of a family that's dairy farmers. They must hate this. Well, I don't care about them and dairy farmers. The hell with those cows. Because I happen to be, you don't know this about me, I am a huge pea fan. Really? It is my absolute favorite vegetable since I, you know, that was the joke in my family when I was very, very small. We're talking three and four years old. I always loved green peas, and now they've turned it into a beverage. Fork or a spoon? <laughs> well, you know, the, I, you know, peas are good. Pea pot, snow peas, uh, snap peas, green peas. It's a wonderful food. Just love and peas. apparently, they're like, very, they're. So think about milk and people who are lactose intolerant. That's kind of a problem. And then you think of people that are um, allergic to nuts, which wipes out the almond milk. Some people are allergic to soy or have problems with soy. So pea milk is vegan, nut-free, soy-free, lactose-free, and gluten-free, higher in protein and higher in calcium than other types of vegetable-based milk. And, yeah, I can kind of see where the dairy farmers are a little upset about them calling it milk. Yes. But so what the deal is is they take the peas and they dry them and they grind them into a powder. And then they put it in, mix it up. And it's not doesn't taste like powdered milk. Um, Hmm. But they they build the milk, the vegetable plant-based milk, with the powder. Um, And so Hmm. you're not drinking green milk. And it doesn't taste like peas. In fact... It tastes like the same flavors you get in every other kind of milk, vanilla. Tastes like milk. Well, no, it doesn't taste like milk milk. But it does taste like vanilla milk, chocolate milk, um, you know, the original, which is kind of a creamy, uh, lightly sweetened. You can get the unsweetened. So there are four new flavors coming out. It doesn't say pea milk because people will make the same face you made. Peas get a bad rap in this country. You're right. (laughs) And peas are good. What do they call it? They call it plant-based milk. Well, that's got a real ring to it. <laughs> plant protein milk, because we know plant proteins are good for us. Yes. And we're more likely to buy it than pea milk. Because <laughs> I, don't, I don't know many people that besides me that would buy pea milk. I think you would be the one. I would and be the one. And you're wearing a top that's very pea-colored. I'm kind of pea-colored you today are. in honor of the new pea milk. <laughs> I like that. You also have information, the latest on 
coffee, is it in or out, good or bad? I must be thirsty because it is another liquid. And, you know, the particular writer from Harvard Medical School, no less, was saying, you know, 10 years ago, he was writing all the bad things about coffee. It might be carcinogenic. Well, I, the good news today is that the, the World Health Organization has removed coffee from the list of carcinogenic products. In wow. fact, um, coffee has been the most studied uh, food, you know, dietary component over the last 20 years, probably, because ever since they said it was bad, people were desperate to prove that wrong, and they did. So um, people that drink coffee, you know, moderate, three to four cups a day. Uh, obviously, if you get the jitters, you don't want to drink three or four cups a day, but it has been shown to reduce risk of cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, Parkinson's, uterine liver cancer, um, gout, and cirrhosis. So there you go. You get your choice. You can have your plant-based protein pea milk or you can drink your coffee. It's all good. I, I, I make coffee every morning uh, and, and I've yet to find a, a coffee, either ground or beans, that just really makes me sit up and say, man, that's good. Well, I can't. They all taste the same to me. They all taste the same. And I shop. I could introduce you to several people and several different kinds of coffee makers that might change your mind, but I'm not supposed to talk about brands on the air, I don't think. We have a Cuisinart coffee maker. They're all the same, aren't they? I don't think. No, they're not all the same. Really? No. It heats the water. It drips through the coffee. No. See, my husband makes Cajun coffee with the chicory from Louisiana. I'm drinking Italian coffee. Um... That's really tasty. Molto bene. So, molto Where do you buy the beans? Uh, well, see, we're, he- we're not that kind of connoisseur. Oh. We don't grind our beans and have it fresh cut beans, which other people with a finer palate than me will do. So, so where do you buy the ground coffee Italian style? Well, we order, we order it. Oh, of course. Of course How we do. silly of me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm drinking Cuban coffee right now, which may be the last of Cuban coffee in captivity. Yeah. I don't know if the plants got wiped They're out by the hurricane. They're going to keep letting them come in. Which is very sad. No, it's, I just don't know if the hurricane wiped oh. out all the coffee plants. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, well, think about it. Well, they'll regrow. In 10 years. Takes that I long? I don't know. I know nothing about it. I just drink coffee, and it's good for you. Don't ask me details. You like Cuban, though. <laughs> yes, it's very strong. That's what this I want. This is because we have clinics in Miami. I go to <laughs> Miami. They serve me Cuban coffee, and, and then it. I'm like, I love this. So, so go to a cool. clinic in Miami, one of our well-made clinics, and have some Cuban coffee. Well, let's, let's go down there and let's do a do well-made it. gives reception. We are next week, as a matter of fact. Oh, I so, didn't know about it next week. So if week. you're in Miami. Nobody invited me. <laughs> ah, we don't need Ron there. Hey, what the heck? All right, so, so bring me some coffee back. All right, I'll bring you some or coffee. Or can you buy it here? I don't know. Oh. Don't ask me these tough questions. <laughs> back to pea milk for just a moment before we move on. <laughs> Kathy Maston is up next right here on Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. For caregivers and healthcare professionals, the 2017 WellMed Charitable Foundation Caregiver Summit is for you at the Whitley Theological Center on Oaklade, November 9th, 830 to 3. Featured speakers include AARP columnist and psychologist Barry Jacobs on helping seriously ill loved ones and caregivers. Dr. Nicholas Musi, Farshop Institute, gives us the latest on research on Alzheimer's and aging. And Cynthia Hazel talks about mindfulness. Attendance is free, but registration required at caregiversos.org. Social worker CEUs and nursing CNEs available. Thank you so much for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And as we've been promising, we're going to talk about home health care, what that means, how you get it, how to know you're getting the kind of service you need, how you can age in place with the kind of support you want. And uh, we're going to talk a little later during our Take 10 segment about robots providing health care and home care. So this is a segue into that as well. Kathy Maston joins us, VP Administration uh, for uh, Home Care Dimension. She's a registered nurse, and we're delighted to have her here in our Caregiver SOS On Air studios. You need to lean right into that microphone. So nice to see you. Thank you for having me on the show. Tell us about uh, not only your company, Home Care Divisions, but what it is you all do, Dimensions. What it is you all do? We provide uh, home care and DME equipment for our home care patients. DME means? Durable medical equipment. And what does that mean? It means like wheelchairs, hospitals, ventilators, oxygen, whatever they need. And that's a service you come into the home to provide care as well? Yes. 
So what would some of that care be? It would be uh, ordered by their physician. It could be nursing skills like IV, maybe wound care, maybe teaching on their diagnosis, medications, um, and then therapies like physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. We also have a home health aid. And the idea would be to keep people in their homes. Yes, well, so, Carol, this is the idea, right? I mean, keep them home. Well, well, it, it, it is the idea, um, but most of the time, you, when you say your services, you know, the physician would order them. Would that be following a hospital stay? Do you, is it? Can they say, oh, you know, from a clinic visit, would you get home health care, or do you have to have a hospital stay? It would be a hospital stay, maybe a rehab stay, maybe uh, at the clinic. They came in for the routine visit, and the doctor or the family is. Um, you know, telling the MD that this patient has problems, maybe they had some falls. And so you could get a referral straight yes. from the clinic. You don't have to go to the hospital or to rehab to get a home health referral. From Correct. Your physician. And why is the referral important? Well, you have to have the referral, otherwise it doesn't get paid for, is my understanding. Exactly. Is that correct? That was the root of my question. It has to be a skill, a skilled so, need. So when, when that referral is made and it's a skilled need, is it then covered by Medicare? Yes. And when you say skilled, you mean it, you need some sort of a professional, like a nurse or an occupational therapist. It's not um, a, a CNA, a, a, like a, an, a necessarily just an aid. You'd have to, that, you have to have that need for something some training. professional. Exactly. How big a business is that? How many folks need that help? Well... When you look at people in the rehabs, you look at people in the nursing homes, if we could take them out of those facilities, it would save Medicare a lot of money. They would do better in their own home. So it's a, it, you know, that's um, a lifesaver for a lot of folks. And especially, you know, this shows about caregivers. When you think about bringing somebody home from a hospital or rehab or someone who is so frail, you go to a clinic visit, um, that if you can get, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, you, people in home health are the experts. So you could teach me, the caregiver, some tricks about how to provide that care at home, you know, in terms of the right way to help transfer somebody, you know, maybe help with feeding them in bed. Because I just, my, my father just had a procedure um, a week ago and was in the hospital, and he, he couldn't sit up after the procedure. He had to lie absolutely flat for like three hours. And so, but he was hungry because he hadn't had anything to eat before the procedure. Did you know how hard it is to feed somebody laying flat in bed? I bet you know a trick for that. (laughs) It's tough to swallow laying flat in bed. Well, it is, and you don't want to choke, you know, your loved one. Right. So, you know, tricks of the trade. Exactly. And wound care is another one that you can teach. Yes. Correct? I need you to lean into the microphone. Yes. Thank you. Yes. We, um, our agency is a little bit different because when we go into the home, Automatically, we're looking for a caregiver to train because that helps the patient and the family. They're able to do their care when they want to do the care, not when the nurse is available to come. And you just have better outcomes. So what are the, like, can you, can you think of any examples of some time when you trained a caregiver or you had a family member that, you know, or a skill that you, you know, routinely need to teach people? It's generally good IVs. We place a, uh, a pick line generally in the arm. A pick line, a pick line, percutaneous. Yeah, so that little tube thing that you get in the hospital. It's it's a little bit bigger. This one is in your arm, your antecubital. Your, I don't know what you, an antecubital goal is. Where you bend your arm? <laughs> I had one in my garage, had one in my garage once, but I uh, yeah yeah. Where you, you backfired? Where that, you bend it? your arm is where they would place it. So it's a port. A, it's a port. No, it's not really a port. No, not really a port. It's, it's a pick line that's Dolphin put in. Amateurs. It's a midline, um, and it's uh, easy to pl- It's easy to place. Typically, we have a pick line nurse that comes in and will place the pick line. He has a portable ultrasound machine, like a mini ultrasound machine, to verify placement. And then our RNs go out and uh, proceed with the antibiotics. We like to do the pick line because then they don't have to have so many needle sticks. Right. So you leave that in over a period of time, and you all come and go, and you can use that to in to as a kind of an opening to get the but medicine need a, and uh, things in you. need you. a patient who's compliant and doesn't take it out. Right. Um, it's pretty hard to pull out. Um, this way the patient can learn. I've had patients do it themselves. They have a long extension tubing and they can 
their manual their dexterity. They can do their own their own IVs. Oh. They can do them when they want them. And now we have um, IVs that come in. It look like kind of like baby bottles, little bit baby bottles. Those were developed during Desert Storm. You don't have to have an IV pole. Oh, so you have so, to drag that pole around. Right. There's no pole. It's like a maybe like a little water bottle, and the uh, pharmacist has a balloon that he titrates. That's the dose that you get for your medication. Once that balloon collapses, you disconnect. The patient uh, flushes the line, and they're done. And they can learn to do that themselves. I like that you have a pick line specialist. How do you become yes. a pick line specialist? Remember the old show, <laughs> What's My Line, years ago? That's right. I mean, you had to no guess what they guess. did. Yeah. You're a pick line specialist, <laughs> right, and they never exactly. had that. It's a highly trained nurse that um, has had a lot of education and a lot of uh, See, that's the one where you go in and they can't find a vein no. to well, take blood. <laughs> I want a pick line specialist. That's right. I was in a, I was someplace and they offered, they asked me if, if I would mind being a training person for a new <laughs> nurse to, to practice learning how to stick someone. I said, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not good with needles and that. I Please find some. I volunteered for other students <laughs> to do other things, but not the stick. Well, that answers the question, how do you learn to do it? So you've got to try it on first-year dummies, but then people. Eventually. You generally have a uh, certified pick line nurse that's your preceptor, and they take you under their wing, and you have about 50 patients before you're let out on your own. Wow. What's go. nice about the pick line also, too, is it can draw their labs so there's no needle sticks. Yeah, see, that's unpleasant. Yes. If, you have, if you're not well... Um, and you have to have a lot of blood drawn to see how you're doing over a period of time. That getting stuck over and over again. Well, I'd want Mary at the WellMed 410 and uh, Centerview to do that. The phlebotanist there is fabulous with needle sticks. Well, mm. and, the, and the nice thing with WellMed, I, I may say, this is something I learned when I first worked there, is that WellMed uses a smaller needle, uses some of the finest needles, and the needle size does make a difference. It costs more to get those little needles that don't hurt as much. And I bet Home Care Dimensions uses the same ones. Yes, we, we probably do. learned that from you. We do. Well, that's cool. Well, you were born under Dr. George Rapier, who <laughs> yes. was the founder of WellMed. So yes. he was your daddy. Yes. And, and <laughs> Who's so, your daddy? He's all our daddy. <laughs> Who's your daddy? Dr. George Rapier. <laughs> uh, founder of the foundation. Yes. Founder yeah, show of WellMed how, and founder of Home Care Dimensions. Because he thinks not only vertically but horizontally. And he saw that need when he uh, really began developing a, a senior-oriented program. Exactly. Interesting. So you mentioned, okay, you've got this pick line specialist, you have the nurse, but you also mentioned a nurse's aide. What would the nurse's aide do versus what the nurses are doing? The nurse's aide is put in the home under the guidance of a licensed professional, and they're supervised, and this aide will help them with their ADLs. Activities of daily living. So that's like bathing, dressing, maybe not meals. No, they, they sometimes do meals. But they're there for short, intermittent care to get that patient back on their feet. Maybe teach the caregiver how to move the patient, how to bathe the patient, how to get the patient dressed, or get in a shower, and things like that. Well, I find it tough enough to bathe our four-year-old twin boys. (laughs) Imagine doing a full-grown adult. It's got to be tough. I know. I'm trying to picture two twin, twins right. stacked on each other in the bathtub versus yeah. one big person. Very That's active. Tough. You know it's what they've discovered? Choice. That when you rock back and forth in the tub, you can have all the water splash, splash out, out of the of tub. That. I remember that moment. When oh, yeah. I, I, my son realized that, too. Yeah, yeah if you just <laughs> run, run from the back to the front of the tub, boing, boing. If you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Our special guest today, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, is Kathy Maston, Vice President, Administration for Home Care Dimensions, a company that provides in-home care uh, referred to either out of a hospital or by uh, your PCP or out of a clinic. And the referral, as we mentioned earlier, is important because then that qualifies for Medicare reimbursement. Exactly. And so how long would a person be able to get home health services? Is, it, is there a definite number of days, or is it based on whatever your condition is? What's, what's the rule on how long you get the help? It's based on your condition and what qualifying skill you have for the licensed professional, whether it be an RN, LVN, or a therapy. So what's the, like, what's the longest? I mean, can you think about how, what would be like the average amount of time you would be in someone's home 
Uh, we try maybe about um, 10 visits for the nursing, and then therapies generally maybe six. It just depends on the condition of the patient. And, that's and we try to spread it out over the month so we're not there day each daily. We're there maybe two times a week. Okay, so it's not twice weeks. a day for five no. days and you're done. No, 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 no. We try and stretch it out to get the patient to meet their goals. They have to have goals that they have to meet and um, make sure that they're safe in their home. That poor patient, they were sick, and now they have goals <laughs> that they have to meet. That's exactly. a lot of pressure. And do you look at uh, issues involved in fall risks in homes as well? Definitely. When you go into a home? Each patient has uh, given a safety uh, checklist. And it's looked at to see if they uh, would qualify for therapy if they've had, you know, subsequent falls. Um, and maybe that wasn't ordered by the physician. And then the physician's notified. Now, do you ever have anybody private pay for your services, or is this really just Medicare-related? It's just Medicare-related. For folks who uh, are not under Medicare, how do they get that kind of home health care? Um, well, if they're not under Medicare, they would probably uh Again, pay privately. Yeah, you can do private pay or Medicaid. Or Medicaid. There are some um, other organizations that I'm aware of that you can get, particularly maybe not the nursing therapies because, mm-hmm. you know, the nursing part is probably not the piece that you do need long term unless you do get trained right. on it. But the assistance with the activities of daily living, that bathing, dressing, you can pay for personal assistance to come to the home. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, it's not a skilled demand if that's all you're needing is the assistance with bathing, those dressing, etc. Those are called provider services. Yes, provider services. And that's services. through Medicaid. And they help them with their, you know, they get to go to the grocery store for them. They're there in their home. They do a lot of cleaning, um, bathing the patient, whatever they need. More with Kathy Maston, Maston in just a moment. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM. The Answer, our co-host Carol Zerniel is here. We'll talk more about home care dimensions. <laughs> For caregivers and healthcare professionals, the 2017 WellMed Charitable Foundation Caregiver Summit is for you at the Whitley Theological Center on Oaklade, November 9th, 8.30 to 3. Featured speakers include AARP columnist and psychologist Barry Jacobs on helping seriously ill loved ones and caregivers. Dr. Nicholas Musi, Farshop Institute, gives us the latest on research on Alzheimer's and aging. And Cynthia Hazel talks about mindfulness. Attendance is free, but registration required at caregiversos.org, social worker CEUs, and nursing CNEs available. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikhoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. We're talking about a very interesting topic. If you are covered by Medicare and uh, struggling, if you're a caregiver and have someone who you're caring for and you need uh, professional home health care, it is available to you. And we're telling you how, what those services are. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel on 930 AM, The Answer on Caregiver SOS On Air. Kathy Maston is with us, Vice President of Administration for Home Care Dimensions. And one of the questions comes up, why did you get into this business? What's your background? Well, my background, um, you're going to laugh at this. When I first started to go to school was to be a librarian. Really? Yeah. Turns out I got a lot of friends who are librarians. I wanted to be a librarian. I love books. Yeah. I love books. And, and, and now they're dead. Now there's no books. I know. I know. It's a good well, thing you weren't uh, a librarian. I know. <laughs> at Reagan's uh, kindergarten, they have a library. Yeah. Uh, Rachel uh, Gerwitz is the yeah. librarian. They're computer specialists so is what they are. <laughs> it's so fun to go in there now. But, yes, you're right, mostly computerized. So you didn't go into library work? No. Um, I had nurses in my family, and I guess that was always in the background for me. didn't realize it until I got older. So you got your RN. Mm-hmm. Where? Texas Women's University. I went to work at MD Anderson. I would have never thought I would have 
chosen oncology, hmm. a lung cancer floor. I was mad because my partner in school got ear, nose, and throat, and I wanted <laughs> ear, nose, and throat, and I got the lung cancer floor. But I flourished there. I loved it, loved it there, and I would have stayed there my whole career. What would you like about it? Um, it's organized. Um, they're very caring. Well, MD Anderson has a great reputation. Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's like the best in, in uh, Houston. That's the place yes. to go. It's yes. one of the best places in the whole country to yes. go. Yes, I've, just, no, I've had several friends go through MD Anderson. It's a wonderful place. Yeah. So, how did you end up in home health care? Well, I uh, moved to San Antonio because of family situations. And um, I started doing uh, med surge. And then I had a neighbor that I don't was know what med surge is. Medical surgical at Baptist. And I had a neighbor that was a retired colonel from the Army, and she was working at Laurel Ridge. Which is a psychiatric hospital. Right. And I would have never imagined me working at Laurel Ridge. But she, I started working there part-time and uh, working with children, and I really it's liked it. It's mostly kids, right? Yeah, mostly yeah. kids. There are some adults. I didn't really get involved with the adults, but I liked working with the children. Hmm. I did that, and I had this wonderful uh, supervisor that said, uh, you know, you ought to think about doing uh, home care. And I said, Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not going to go into people's homes. And so she got me into it, and I liked it, and I started doing psychiatric, and I did med surge. And that was about probably 30 years ago. Wow. And so then you be, you've been doing home health ever since? Yes. Interesting. What do you like about it? I like it because you get to develop a relationship with your patients. When they're in a facility like a hospital, they're there one day, they're gone the next day. Sometimes less than a day, like my dad yes. was there less than a day. Because of the cost. Right. If you stayed one more minute, it would have cost more. <laughs> That's right. They were, they, oh, they were turning out the lights right behind us. I, Bye, I enjoyed meeting your dad at the uh, uh, Project Men Gala where you were honored. Yes, yes. And uh, he, he enjoyed uh, his visit and... Um, you know, he's doing very well. So okay. hooray for the nurse. And the nurses, the med surge nurses, <laughs> what, that's what they were. They were lovely. They good. were just lovely. It was a really good group. And, you know, and that makes a big difference. You know, in the, in the home health business, you know, just like in the hospital, but the nurses and the care that you get, it's really about the people. Yes. You know. Exactly. And, and it really boils down to good care and, and, and liking the, the people and them making you feel good, especially, you know. Yeah, it, it would nervous. seem to me, if you look at the demographics, you are in an incredible growth industry. Exactly. Right? It's exactly. got to be. It's just, you know, when I started all the years ago, occasionally, but now it's just such a demand for it because people want to stay in their home. Their families want them to stay in the home. A lot of times it's... Um, you know, cheaper for them to be in the home, and they do better in their own environment. Right. Well, but and, but now do you? Uh, um, there are nursing shortages. Um, you know, my mother was a was an RN, and so you know, a good organizations like Home Care Dimensions have a. You probably have an easier time than some other folks in attracting good help. Right. And and that also makes a difference. Do do people get a choice? Like when the doctor makes a referral, does he provide people with a list of here's all the home care folks that you could possibly get, or is it different relationships? How do people find you? Well, we are preferred provider for WellMed, and we currently only take WellMed patients. Okay, so, so. And, and WellMed is a large enough. Um, entity to be able to keep you all busy. Yes. <laughs> yes. 20, for those that don't know, we have 25 clinics in San Antonio where we're recording this, and there's plenty of people. Plus, we're in Austin. We're in Corpus Austin, Christi, Corpus, Dallas, El Paso. Worth, yeah, across and, Texas. And Leo across Graham. Florida. And, 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 and home care dimensions. Now, are you yes. in all those markets too? Yes. That's right. So, WellMed Charitable Foundation, we all follow WellMed around. WellMed goes in with a clinic and home care dimensions follow. follows them and the foundation yes. follows them and, and we all provide some sort of support in that market. Yes. Carol comes in with a parachute troop, flies in and <laughs> there she is. So the decision you made to go into home health care uh, was one obviously you're happy with and you would recommend to others. Yes. You um, can uh, you know, do your own schedule. Because you go seven days a week, I would yes. think. Yes. And you always find people that want to work the weekends. You know, maybe they're going to school. Maybe they have other commitments, and uh, they want to work the weekends. So we're available seven days, 24 hours a day. Oh, so you do nights, too? Yeah. We don't like to do nights, but we do do nights. We have on-call RNs at night as yeah. per Medicare rules and regulations. Right. See, my mother was a night nurse. She did the 11 to 7 shift at night. 
When I first got into radio, I did midnight to 6 a.m. I loved it. There's no money in that in radio. You've you got to be primetime hours, but I loved those hours. And, and why did you love the overnight hours? Because the suits were never in the radio station. <laughs> you were, and Chris is shaking his head, yes. <laughs> Nobody bugged you. You could have a good time. You could do great radio. Uh, and I was in uh, graduate school full time, so I went from the station, studied for an hour or two, and then went to class and then slept for a little while. But, yeah, I loved overnights. Yeah, it's a different world when you leave mm-hmm. uh, uh, overnights. It's a whole different world out there. Have you done nights? Yes. And you're shaking your head. Yes. Totally yes. different. It's interesting. I, li- I liked it. It's just hard when you have people call well, I wasn't you that, married. that don't, get, don't understand that you've been up all night and you'd like to go to sleep for a few hours right. before they start calling you. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> well, um, what, so do you have any tips for family members, caregivers, in making the most out of the time they are given with the home health agency? What are some of the do's and don'ts? Some of the do's are really pay attention to the teaching, watch, you know, the nurse, Understand their medications. That's a big, big, big Right, and ask need. questions if you don't yes. understand. If you don't understand the medication, speak up. Do yes. not guess. <laughs> write it know. down and then say, did I write it down correctly? And if you have questions, call your home care provider. Yeah. They're there to help you. And they're easier to get hold of a lot of times. You know, the home, you know, sometimes it's hard to get. You don't always have an opportunity to talk to your doctor because he's got visit after visit. Exactly. But your home care provider, you're on their list anyway. So you're going to find it easier to ask them the questions. And they're available seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Now, in your new responsibilities, are you no longer seeing patients? Uh, I have been seeing patients probably about two years. I haven't. Have I not. miss it. I, I was going to ask. You miss it. I miss it. I like that bedside care. Yeah. Plus, you know, everybody, you know, everybody's problems. You hear a lot of things. You get the scoop on certain nurses and therapists. <laughs> and you know all the, I used to know all the patients. It was unbelievable. That's cool. Uh, we well, got to pick up a shift now and then, right? <laughs> you just throw, throw her in there. Well, are there any don'ts? You were talking about the do's, paying attention, ask your questions. Are there any don'ts or thou shalt nots when working with your home health agency? No, not really. I mean, if you're unhappy, notify them right away so they can rectify the situation and get it fixed. We li- if we have any problems, I'd like to get, get, get them straightened out within 24 hours. Like if somebody doesn't show up. Uh, we'll get someone out there. You call can, us you call immediately. Call get someone out there. Yes. Because they should be on a schedule. You should know when they're yes, coming. Yes, exactly. And our clinicians call the patient before they come, maybe the day before or early in the morning, to make sure they don't have a doctor's appointment or they're not going to be at home so we can reschedule so that the, uh, you know, date their patient is seen, the patient's seen. So you were talking about a patient having goals. What if you get to, the, let's say, the end of six weeks and you had these goals but the patient just isn't meeting those goals yet what happens well we would do a reeval. we generally have a 60-day period uh because it's managed care hmo we don't have the luxury of doing a lot of visits but at the end of the visit say we had 10 visits and they just weren't moving along like they should our clinicians would notify the doctor and see if we could get more visits if there's a qualifying need mm-hmm to see maybe if we could keep them on a little bit longer. Maybe they've had a fall, they need more therapy. Right. Or if they if something else happened, like they got the flu and it right. slowed them down, right? Um, then you would want to do something else. So exactly. it's not everything. Things are not written in stone. This is, you know, you want to make the most of your time with the home health agency, learn all that you can learn. But if you have questions, things aren't going well, you feel like you need more time, you can bring that up. It's not Correct. a taboo subject. And in the providers, what are you looking for in, in their personality? Not everyone can do this kind of work. For home health, think. people that work with you. Um, people that really care, that really uh, want to take care. They all care. Right. Yeah. They really want to care. They really want to take care of the patient. Um, you know, you have to have a need for that. You have to want that, to be working that profession. And I would think that's not something you can teach someone. No. And it's probably pretty obvious fairly soon (laughs) into the job if you've got somebody who just doesn't have that calling. Exactly. And I've always asked my staff to treat the patients like they're your mom and dad. Right. And it'll work. Unless they don't like their parents. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, I can't stand my mom and dad. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry about that, but you're just going to have to (laughs) like your mom and dad. a relative you love, someone you love. That you really care about, that you'd want the best care for. The way you'd want to be treated. Yes, exactly. Interesting. And and you cover all the markets that WellMed is in, you were saying. Yes, sir. 
Uh, but as, everywhere across the country, there are home health organizations. Yes, of course. Everywhere. And are, are you all graded like the star system for nursing homes and, and for clinics? Yes. So, so that means CMS that there's a quality. You mm-hmm. You've the, got blue a qu- star, the blue star rating, yes. Oh, okay. So, so, so what do you quality for? score for that, too. Yeah. Well, what happens at the end of each um, home care episode, we are monitored and surveyed by a company called Data. There's different types of companies. They mail out a survey, and there's questions that the federal government has asked for each organization to ask each patient. They'll ask you things about um, did your provider call before they come? Were they dressed appropriately? Did you get your questions asked when they did teaching? Were you satisfied? Um, you know, did you have any problems with your caregiver? Um, did they perform the skills adequately? So um, you know right away. Interesting. Anything we haven't asked you you want to toss in? Not that I can think of. Well, we should say that the Governor Abbott has declared the month of November. Yes. Um, it is, na- what is it? National Home Care and Hospice Month. National Home Care and Hospice Month. So be sure to thank your home care provider in November. Cool. Kathy Maston, thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. We appreciate it. Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Up next, Take 10, Dr. Jamie Heisman will join us on 930 AM, The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Well, we promised we'd deliver Take 10 right after Caregiver SOS on air, and we like to follow through with promises. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. We're joined on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline with Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist and expert in dealing with issues involving not only caregiving, but addiction as well. And he is uh, somebody who can tell us everything we need to know, Carol, about this next care bot topic. Well, you know, so Jamie, I'm, I'm going to throw a curveball since this is the season for the World Series. <laughs> Go Astros. I don't, want you, I, was gonna say, I don't want you to think that I don't know what's going on in the world of baseball. Um, but there was a recent article about we need – actually, we think artificial intelligence and robots could solve our caregiving problem. And I, I don't know if you – did you see that article in the Washington Post by any chance? I have not, but um, I have seen about caregiver robots in oh, other venues seen. before. Well, and they're in the movies, and they're everywhere. Well, of course, and, there's going to be a huge shortage of well, there, human caregivers. There is a shortage, and they were talking specifically about, think about China and Japan, where you already, you know, we're only like 13% aging population. They're already at 20%, um, and they don't have, they well, in China, you only have one child um, and multiple parents, and how in the world are they going to have enough caregivers uh, to care for all of these people? Um, but the flip side of that, of course, was then somebody came out and said, oh, my gosh, you know, I can't imagine anything worse. You know, this is now our not only are we discriminated against because we're old now, old people and possibly children are going to be relegated to having robot caregivers, you know, just ask the robot to throttle you and get it over with was basically the re- <laughs> was basically the rebuttal. So, okay, so, Jamie, you know, you are the psychologist. Um, 
I don't know. <laughs> is there what's a, artificial intelligence? I don't, know, I don't know if that's right in your bailiwick, but what do you think? Robot caregivers? I mean, think about, you know, the little baby seal robot for the Alzheimer's folks and the other little robots and, you know, that, where people can pet them and, you know, they kind of bond with them. Do you think, you know, if you could have a, a robot that kept you clean and dry and could talk to you, is that a bad thing? You know, I kind of fall right in between both, if you will. In fact, I do lean towards the latter uh, interpretation. I mean, robots have been talked about for some time for caregivers. Um, basically, you know, humans can, can, you know, they can do a lot of things, um, such as maintaining a schedule or, or actually feeding, if you will, somebody or giving them their medicine at a particular time. And, and yet many of the elderly patients, you know, they, they rely on certain routine activities that a caregiver can provide. And, yes, a robot can do that. And as we age, uh, certainly we're finding less and less caregivers and also a society, if you will, that sometimes disposes of its elderly, if you will, or doesn't actually get engaged as much with its elderly. And robots might work for these routine issues. But on the flip side, on the flip side, you've always heard me say isolation is the cancer of the soul, and for, for me, I can see very well how the robots can do routine, mundane, daily activities and help uh, a senior during their times of challenge. I can also see how a senior or a caree, if you will, can see this as a very isolating event and not feel the warm and fuzzies and somewhat like Harlow's monkeys, and that's the psychologist who created the theory of intimacy, uh, see it as a wire hanger without terry cloth, if you will. And so I can see somebody not bonding to this and getting quite depressed. Remind us of that experiment, uh, the uh, the monkey that bonded with folks. It was a terry cloth monkey. Well, Dr. Harlow, yeah, Dr. Harlow had an experiment, and, and uh, what he did with monkeys was he gave them a wire hanger, uh, if you will, like a, a mother figure, uh, and, and one with terry cloth on it. And what monkeys would do were the ones with the terry cloth Obviously, would it be more intimate, connective, more trusting, more loving as they grew up? And the one with the, the wire hanger would feel alone and cold and detached and isolated. And so in this particular case, uh, obviously, we're not being born, but we are growing older. You'll feel very much like the latter, where you actually feel detached, isolated, and, and less connected because it's a robot and not a loved one. So maybe as a training to have your care bot, you should watch the Star Wars movies and you could think about R2-D2 and C-3PO as your friends. Yes, you can. And, and, and you can do that all you want, and it's still the family is getting off the hook some way. Um, th- there must be a better way. There must Though be a better way. See, there must be. Though I can see the routine issues of laundry and, you know, e-feeding and times that person gets up and not get up be more automated in the future. I cannot see for the life of me how this will help somebody feel more connected, more healthy, uh, feel like they're aging with integrity. Dr. Jamie, did I, by the way, if you've just joined us, this is Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer along with Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron, Dr. Jamie Heisman with us. Did I detect a little uh, guilt for family members who might be shirking, in your view, caregiving by bringing in a robot? Well, you know, Carol brought up a great culture. I mean, she brought up the Chinese. And the Chinese, for me, are, are now looking at laws to legislate, if you will, caregiver involvement. Literally, that you could be breaking the law as a child to not help your elderly mom or dad. I'm pretty intimate, as you know, with the culture, knowing it, you know, both personally and professionally. And so, yeah, there is a bit of that you heard in me, for sure. There must be a better way than to set up simply a robot and be able to check in on this robot on your iPhone or your, 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 your you know, Samsung every day of the week and think that you're actually providing the care that's needed. But there'd be a consistency of care that you might not get with humans. I agree. I agree. And that's why I said I kind of fall in between the two. If you can actually incorporate the automatic sort of responses with the loving touch and be able to uh, merge this. But it still requires a human being, Ron, to be able to administer this. Um, though a lot of these caregiver activities may be alleviated by ha- working with a robot. Well, I, you know, if I was to jump sides of the fence, to I don't see how this is going to work. You know, Siri and I on my iPhone 
We have a very contentious relationship. It is not a healthy relationship. It's not good. She doesn't like me. I don't like her. Um, and if I had Siri as my caregiver, I can tell you I would be an unhappy camper. In fact, if you spend time around Carol uh, and her iPhone, she and Siri often get into battles. Siri wins I, I every time. I've driven, I've driven with Carol. Well, I are. can imagine her battling Siri <laughs> you, at the same time. Can you imagine driving. me in a self-driving car? Are you battling the self-driving car? Talking about, no. yeah. <laughs> so, but listen, I think that, but you're right on target, Carol. I think that's a great analogy. I, too, have the same relationship with Siri, and I think that this could devolve, if you will, into that. See, Siri and I get along great. Yeah, see. But I changed the voice to an Australian male. So he doesn't care what it says. It just sounds like it's from another country. My Siri sounds like, you know. New York. Yeah, just a lady that doesn't know anything. But that's an example of how someone might react uh, to a robot because a robot would, in effect, be programmed like Siri to respond in certain ways to certain inputs. And they don't have a lot of AI built in, artificial intelligence. Maybe we Absolutely. need more AI. Yeah, and I can't imagine that the effects on the mind are not uh, really challenging when you use something like a robot with a loved one. I mean, it does create this feeling of, of detachment and, uh, and isolation and, and, and where is my loved one and why am I looking at this bundle of, you know, whatever it is, bolts and screws, uh, if you will, and, and, uh, and that's all I'm looking at. So. There is a happy medium here. I don't want to diss the idea entirely. I've heard about it. I've seen it at, at conferences, this concept being bandied about. I do think, though, this can never substitute for a real-life human being. Well, I would have to agree with you there. I mean, I think really, you know, if you think about the best use of a robot, um, there are physical challenges that people, you know, that really have some physical limitations uh, where you might have somebody help you with p get picking things up, transferring, there, there, there's some use there. Uh, if you have Alzheimer's, the little robot seal, those kinds of things that bring you comfort and reduce anxiety and give you someone to talk to because you, that's, that will work for you in, in an Alzheimer's state. Um, but for a lot of people and for most of us, you know, the, there isn't anything like having a Dr. Jamie to listen to you and talk to you. Someone with dementia uh, presented with a robot that is dressed to look like a human uh, and interacts with you, uh, would they know the difference? We're definitely uh, at a place where we could not even know that, Ron. I mean, to be perfectly blunt with you, um, I can't imagine... I can't imagine the, the perception of a robot would be lost upon somebody with dementia. I, I, I can only think that um, it's the exact same thing whether one did not have dementia. Well, I'll, I'll close in the words of my mother. Well, that experiment didn't work. What's next? Thank you. Take 10. Jamie Heisman, Carol Zernio, Ron Aaron. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on air on 930 a.m. The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.